I do think that this whole experience for me has changed the way I see my world. You, you know, I mean, yes, to a certain extent, it's self-serving because I, I see people differently as potential guests, but it helps me to see them a little bit more than I may have before. And I think that that's a big positive for me. You know, even just someone telling me, hey, I listened to that episode on so-and-so, and that was so amazing. I never knew about that. That's that's a measure of success right there, just connecting with someone and someone has an understanding of something that they didn't before or learned about something new. That's That's great. That's one of the main reasons I do it. Welcome to Intrinsic, a podcast about the innate value of human beings and the motivation that drives us. I'm your host, Keiko Sono, recording from Socrates, New York. Today, I'm talking with two fellow podcasters in Hudson Valley and the Catskills. Brett Berry is the host of CatCast, a podcast about history, arts, culture, and outdoor adventures of the Catskills. His guests are deeply knowledgeable about their fields, which range widely from the science of bees to the art of metal detecting. He's the owner of Silver Hollow Audio, a high-quality production studio that he launched with his wife Rebecca, where he records audiobooks and the popular Catskills Audio Tour Guide. Teresa Whitman hosts a weekly radio show, I Want What She Has, on Radio Kingston, a flowy, two-hour-long conversation with inspiring women of the Hudson Valley. She is also the founder of Anahata Kingston, a comprehensive healing and wellness center that offers a wide variety of healing arts and consultation. Teresa's warmth and healing power come through in every episode of her podcast. Okay, Brett and Teresa... Three podcasters in one room. What could go wrong? (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah. So why are we doing this? Why are we doing podcasts? Doesn't the world have enough podcasts already? That's a great question. Well, for me, you know, I started out with audio production as what I do. And so this for me was a way to expand the audience and get some of the work that we're producing out to a wider audience or a different format that happens to be very popular, right? So podcasts have been in the world for a long time now. It just so happens that a lot of people are jumping onto it. But um, I think that's the reason that we're using podcasts is because they're popular. That seems to be the preferred method of ingesting audio, right? And so it just makes it easy and it's um, fitting content that you have that you feel passionate about into a format that people already accept and know how to use. Teresa, you're actually not a podcaster. You're you're a radio show host, right? But I guess, you know, the line's pretty blurry now. Yes. Well, it's interesting because it actually started out, it was my friend Shauna Falana and I had decided we wanted to do a podcast. We kind of joked for years that we would do a podcast. We we kind of shared podcasts regularly with one another. A lot of it had to do with kind of self-improvement or spirituality or whatever kind of things of that vein. And we kind of joked because we both have very uh, contagious laughs that it would be great if we did a podcast together and, and we could make sure we laughed in every episode. And long story short, we had asked 
uh, Radio Kingston if we could use some of their equipment. And then they said, well, why don't you do it as a radio show? And then you can always take that and put it up into the podcast feeds. So that's what we ended up doing. And now it's just me. So Shauna stepped away last year, and now it's just me doing it. And that's a nice way to do it, right? Because you have the live audience component, and then it becomes an evergreen piece that you know lives in your podcast. So you, you get uh, kind of two different audiences. Yes. The other added benefit, I guess, and maybe we'll talk about this a little bit later, is that it, I, I don't really edit it too much because I don't want to change it from the live show. And there's not much you can do. You know, the live show is what it is. And so then I really just honor that whole expression of what came out and mostly just put that up into the podcast. So it makes it a little bit easier, maybe puts a little bit more pressure on the live interview. But, you know, it seems to work for me. Mm hmm. Well, I'm terrified of live shows. <laughs> so as far as um, why I'm doing this, I blame it on both you, Teresa, and Brett. <laughs> because, <laughs> Teresa, you had me as a guest in your radio show. Was that last year? Yeah, it was last year. And this uh, year. Yes, that's but, right. Thank but, you. But yes, <laughs> the first time. Yeah. And Brett, you were my friend before I knew you as a, as a podcaster and your audio professional. And um, you got me interested. And so, you know, you two are responsible for what I'm doing. So I am definitely not a natural podcaster, if there is ever such a thing. I'm a terrible speaker. I'm really actually terrified of speaking in public. But I care deeply about the theme of my podcast, which is intrinsic. It's about intrinsic and innate value and motivation in each individual. So what does this mean? Well, in the Hudson Valley and in the Catskills, I see so many people who dedicate their time and energy to things that they care about. Musicians, artists, writers, dancers, um, parents, caregivers, activists, volunteers, fishermen, hunters, skaters, you know, and they put so much time and energy into what they do. And it, it made me wonder why they do this, what drives them. So I wanted to talk to them. And I also wanted to take it further and explore if there's a way to improve our environment and our community and our society in such a way that those kind of passions would be encouraged and supported, whether that being in financial or in any other form of support. So that's why I started this. I figured that the benefit of having these kind of conversations outweigh the negativity, which is to put my listeners through the torture of having to listen to me mumble <laughs> my way through. So that's my story. It's great. And, you know, I think I, it makes sense for me to just mention that similarly, when Shauna and I actually decided on what the show content would be, it was it was very similar to what you're describing. We realized that there were so many amazing women. You know, the show is called I Want What She Has, and it's about amplifying women's voices and their stories. And it, there were so many women 
that we were connected to that we didn't know in the community. And we just really wanted to celebrate them and, and hopefully inspire others to really kind of find their, their way of being their best selves, like a lot of the guests on the show are. Yeah, I love the premise of your show, of course. <laughs> I'm a little biased, mm-hmm. but uh, <laughs> yeah, we, yeah, we need it. Also, I, I wonder if this is this goes to for both both of you. I use my podcast as a tool to connect with people. Like I choose guests that I want to talk to. So far, most of my guests have been have been my friends, so I know them and I know that um we would have really great conversations, but I will eventually venture out and I'm going to select guests that I've always wanted to talk to. So how do you guys select your guests? I have a running list of ideas. And then I think the ideas or the subjects lead to the guest, right? So whoever would be the appropriate person to talk to about this, that, or the other thing. And, you know, going back to what you were saying about maybe not feeling naturally inclined to talk to people or put your voice out there. That's another thing about podcasts or audio in general, having a microphone in your hand or, you know, having your your guest on a microphone really gives you license to ask things and that you wouldn't normally. So I think that's another reason that we're all doing what we're doing or can do what we're doing is that having a podcast, uh, being able to interview somebody for something other than your own inquisitive nature gives you a license to really dig into things that you might not have otherwise. That's very inspiring to me because, you know, I, the way that I kind of, I guess, curate my shows, it's, it's, it's been an evolution of sorts, uh, the format of the show. Um, But I will say that in general, there are, you know, women that I know, but there are also women that I hear about in the community. And then there are women who are recommended to me. I have a lot of people saying, this person's amazing. You should have her on your show. Or people directly reaching out because they have something going on and they heard about the show. So there's a myriad of ways that people get in touch with me. And then I try to curate kind of a mix, you know, a diverse array of offerings um, and, and kind of like, Uh, stories to tell. But one of the things that I've noticed about me in particular, the podcasts that I am particularly drawn to are usually based on subject matter, kind of like what Brett's talking about. There are issues or things that you're particularly curious or interested in. And I've thought, occasionally I have done a show like that where it is sort of an issue-based show and then I try to find people who can come in and speak to it or or comment about um, the issues. And I have been thinking about, you know, in the next year, should I be doing more of that or more of it, it more regularly? Because it is particularly inspiring to me to do shows like that. What kind of subject matters have you felt so strongly about, if you can think of example? Sure. Well, you know, like when you came on to talk about universal basic income, it was a subject that I didn't know a lot about, but I I, I think the conversation is important, right? Economic um, divisiveness, the um, economic inequality, racial inequality. There's a lot of different kind of uh, cultural and political things that are interesting to me. And then I, I also have 
you know, a big part of my life is in the wellness space. And so it is also shows that are related to things that, um, that people are doing to cultivate better well-being or wellness for themselves. Uh, that kind of leads to another question that I had for you, Teresa. Um, unlike Brett, who is an audio professional, Teresa, you and I are not. I'm related. total amateur. <laughs> Sometimes I worry a little bit, you know, when my guests, are they prepared for their experience when they come on my show? Because... I don't consider myself a professional radio host or podcaster, although I have done 146 episodes and each one is two hours long. So it's a lot yeah. of practice. But yes, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm an amateur. So in your other, or I, I should say your center, your primary line of work is, um, well, how would you describe yourself? That's I cannot answer. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, yeah, we. this could be a whole other separate episode, you know, of, um, of how you define yourself. Mm. It's actually something that I have questioned and played around with when I have a guest on mm. is, do I focus on introducing them as what they do, what their work is? Or do I let them define what's important to share about who they are? You know, I've, I'm somebody who has been so many things. You know, I was a prosecutor, a divorce attorney, a, a, a consultant, a salesperson, a sales manager, a yoga teacher, a sound healer, you know, like just a, a, a lot of different things that aren't really related to one another. So it's hard for me to define myself. And and I want to keep that open. And it's also a bit of my, I guess, personal practice is to not be defined by uh, titles. You know, I, I feel like we can, they can li both limit us as well as be helpful because people say, oh, Teresa's the, you know, the woman's rights person. But, you know, that's not exactly my whole identity. So <clears throat> I, that's kind of a very long answer to, I don't, really enjoy defining myself. Maybe it's because it's hard to define myself and what I do. I think that my podcast, I've done a lot of different work in the women's realm. You know, I was a director of a, a women's tech group when I worked in technology. I was, you know, involved in the Women's Bar Association. Um, yeah, I am a woman. I understand sort of, you know, the challenges that I have gone through when I was in India, kind of going through um, a difficult period in my life, a Ayurvedic doctor there told me I needed more feminine energy. And, you know, it was very confusing to me what he meant by that. So it seems like there's always been this theme of understanding the feminine and what it means to be a woman. And so that's a part of why the show um, I guess aligns with me and and my identity in a way, but but really, I I love I love meeting people and I it's like every person on my show, it, I relate to them in some way and I almost want to be them. Like I love you know that this the uh, my my most recent guest had a food production company. At one point, I was going to start one of those. It's like I can relate to everyone somehow. Um, so it's just fun to live vicariously through everyone. Hmm. 
Oh, that's beautiful. I, I definitely relate to that. I, I wanted to kind of loop back to what you just said、um, earlier, Teresa. I also have a hard time defining myself by what I do. And this just popped in my head. I've now interviewed a lot of people, not just on this podcast, but through my previous work project, Catskill Waters. And again and again, people who are really passionate about what they do say that the reason that they do it is because of the interaction with people. And if they moved the people in some ways, whether that Being through musical performance or their art, when you see the, the direct impact on people, that's what keeps them going. And I definitely feel that with podcasts. You know, if you have a moment where you just kind of this, have this kind of visceral connection, it's like, wow, that, we just had a great conversation. That's the reward in itself. And that's what keeps me going. And that's why I categorize podcasts and every Other th- all other things that I'm doing in the community with my art. It's, it's not really that different from painting. Brett, this is your profession. So is your take different or similar? On why I do it? And how your life, I mean, how podcast fits、oh, okay. into your life. Yeah. Yeah, it's a pretty natural fit for me because I am a, an audio producer and storyteller. and Feel like I always have been. And,、uh, you know, so for me, it's a way to tell the story of things that I'm interested in, just like you two both were talking about. So I gravitate towards stories that are interesting to me, hoping they'll be interesting to others. And I can't always do that in my work. Obviously, you are hired to do certain projects. And luckily, most of those projects I enjoy. But this is really just gives me the freedom to explore. Um, areas that,、uh, that I can't do on a project that, I, that someone's paying me for, right? It's also a way to expand on other projects, repackage projects, get them out to new listeners. And so the, the topics that I'm most interested in are well, the podcast is all about the Catskills and the Hudson Valley. So that's my frame. Just like, you know, Teresa, it's for you, it's women. So that, that, <laughs> there you go. That, that limits you to 50, 51% right there. I'm limited by geographic area. And so everything I do, I feel has to be connected in some way to the Catskills or the Hudson Valley, or else I would just, you know, go in every which direction. And so I think a focus is really good no matter what that is. But within that focus, I really enjoy issues that have to do with sustainability, history, literature. People who should be celebrated here in the Catskills, past and present. Yeah. I find it so interesting that the guests that you pick, both in subject matter and their, the personalities that, they, that come through your podcast, are very similar to you. You know, like the way, <laughs> maybe you don't see it that way. <laughs> They're very, you know, really down to earth and like no frills. Like you've had the B person, the B specialist.、Uh-huh. You've had the detectorists.、Right. And the way they talk about their <laughs> craft is so matter of fact and it's very informational, very articulate. Maybe that's very different from like Teresa and me. <laughs>、yeah. well, I wonder if that has to do with interview style too, right? So the way that you interview somebody also kind of sets the tone if you're, if you're asking questions in a measured way and leaving room for. For air and that kind of thing. And then a, 
so there's the possibility, I guess, that you can align a little bit in the interview. And unlike Teresa, I do a lot of editing. So, um, you know, I, I, I take out big sections that don't quite relate to the story. Sometimes it'll deviate and it's great, but not for this episode. And I can't stand the sound of myself saying, um, and, ah. so all of those come out. So I, I probably come off as a lot more articulate than I really am in, in real life. And, and maybe my interviewees do as well. I'm raising my hand. Same here. <laughs> <laughs> so Brett, your episodes are usually between 30 minutes and 50, like 60 minutes. Yeah. About 20 minutes to an hour. Uh, yeah. try not to go over an hour and, Although the ones that do go over an hour tend to be audiobook material, so those are what they are. It's a it's an audiobook performance, so it's the length of whatever the work is. But I try my best to keep interview based podcasts under an hour. I don't know why. I just guess you know I, I want it to not exceed the length of a typical Catskills drive, right. even though not everyone's listening in their cars. But that's one of the measures that I try to use. I try to envision how people are consuming this. And a lot of people do that in their cars on the way to and from where they're going. Yeah, that's a good point. So how, how many hours do you usually spend editing for, let's say, like an hour long episode? If it's a straight interview, maybe two hours, three hours, just to tighten it up, take out ums and uhs, and uh, add a little bit of uh, processing to make it sound better. If it's something more produced, so I do other podcasts that are more field work, like the one with the metal detectorists, that took a long time. That took a full day of, of editing to really create the story, um, mix the tracks I wanted to, and that being more of a kind of documentary style podcast. So that takes longer. But overall, the podcasts are taking me longer than I thought they would. When I first launched the podcast, I thought, oh, this will be a nice way to kind of repackage things I've already done and do an interview here and there, maybe some new material. It's becoming a lot of new material and a lot of production and post-production time, which is fine. It's just more than I expected it would be because I want it to be good. And that takes time. Well, I hope this will make you feel better, but... It takes me at least eight hours an episode. This is just for the, you know, straight up conversational podcast for documentary type episodes. It takes me like weeks, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it takes eight to 12 hours per episode for me to edit mm -hmm. because I'm less articulate than you. <laughs> my, my clip, if you see the um, audio track of my editing software, <laughs> they're like in tiny, tiny little sleepers all the way through. <laughs> so, Teresa, I would love to get your tip on how not to do this. You know, how, how do you articulate yourself so well? Well, I don't know that I do. I mean, I'm okay with imperfection. And and that may not bode well for me. You know, I am I haven't actually tried to monetize the podcast in any way, and I don't know, you know, in comparing myself to others like what the numbers are like. I have thought that maybe I need to do more editing work if I want it to be very polished. But one of the things that I do do is if I have, I do some interviews ahead of time because my guests aren't always available during the live show, which is during Wednesdays in the afternoon. And so when I, when I do an, edit, uh, an interview ahead of time, I often tell them that I try to run it 
just like I'm doing the live show and that my preference is to not have to edit things, that it's okay if during the interview they didn't like what they said, they want to re-answer the question differently. It's better to just stop there, pause. I make a little notation to know where I can go back to to edit it out. Otherwise, like to go back and try to fit things together after I've already recorded the whole conversation and make it sound seamless is very hard for me. And it's it's just too much time for me to do that. So that's what I try to do is I try to run it like a live show. I mean, it is a long form interview. And everyone is usually in being, you know, discussing with me for at least an hour, if not an hour and a half. And so it is more conversational. I think that's the tone of my show. It's not like a dense, you know, informative, bam, it's all here in a nice little package. It's a little bit more of a, you know, you're hanging out with us, you know, as we're having tea or something um, is the kind of feel I, I think whether it's effective or not, I have no idea, but that's how I do it. And that's how I try to minimize my editing. Hmm. Uh, do you edit as you converse with your guests? It, meaning like in your head, you're looking at the clock. It's so it's either one hour or two hour conversation. How do you, how do you fit your conversation into those? timeframes. Sure. Well, because I'm always thinking ahead of the the promo breaks that the radio station inserts. So I basically think in like 20, 25 minute chunks. And I kind of have an idea of the things that I hope to talk about in those 20, 25 minute chunks. And that's just what I try to do is, is control the conversation to that window. It doesn't always work perfectly. Um, but that's generally what I what I do. I don't have everything planned out in advance. I, I, I prefer to have it be more of a natural dialogue versus like a, a you know, a line by line Q&A. Um, so it doesn't always work out perfectly, but that's the general idea. And how much do you prepare before the recording session? Do you give them questions? Do you talk to them? I usually come up with maybe eight to 12 questions just so that I'm not stuck when I'm out there. So I do a little research just to find out uh, what types of questions will be best to ask on a particular topic. And then we'll go through them. Sometimes it just happens naturally. So we'll have a conversation. And then at the end, I'll just look at my notes and see if I got everything. Usually I did. Maybe there's one thing that I forgot. And then always at the end, I'll just ask if there's anything that they wanted to add that maybe I didn't think of. And that's sometimes where some of the best material comes too, because they had something really interesting to say that I didn't know about or didn't think to ask. Hmm. And Teresa, you, you talk to your guests beforehand, right? Every single guest? It varies. It, it actually varies a great deal. And I just have to say, if you can always cut this out, but when, when we started the show, <laughs> I just laughed back thinking about how naive we were but we shauna and i would prepare a list it was like two pages long of line by line questions 
And I remember sending it to some of our guests being like, these are the questions we might ask you. <laughs> and we had Gail Ann Dorsey on as like maybe the first or second show, maybe on the first show. She's a very prominent musician. You know, she played with David Bowie. She plays with Lenny Kravitz. And she's been interviewed by a lot of professional people in her lifetime. And, you know, we kind of were like, did you look at the questions, Gail? And she's like, no. <laughs> <laughs> okay, lesson learned. But I kind of leave it up to the guest. I have like a general set of questions that I, I hone in on. I mean, it's a little bit like, who are you? What's a little bit about your background? Uh, what do you do? Why do you do it? How do you take care of yourself? What are you passionate about? How have you come? Um, how have you moved through challenges? So those are the general themes. Some guests really want to talk in advance. Some guests want more of an outline. And I will do whatever makes the guests feel comfortable. Uh, so that's what I do. I generally try to do a good amount of research, which isn't always easy because not all of my guests are very, you know, their information is not readily available on the internet. But if it is, then I try to do a lot of research in advance. Mm. I yeah. do enough research that I don't come off as stupid. <laughs> I've noticed. Wanna... I've noticed yeah. that you do a lot of research. It shows. I've, I've been impressed. I try not to do, you know, I don't, I don't want to go overboard, but I don't want to seem unprepared and miss the obvious questions. So if, if I'm not missing obvious questions and I feel like I'm doing okay, and I feel that some people do appreciate questions in advance, particularly people who have never been interviewed before, they're nervous. And they want to know, well, what are you going to add? And, and then sometimes I show up and they're like, oh, there's no camera? No. <laughs> it's just, you know, some people are even confused about, you know, the difference between audio and video. And audio is just, just a microphone. So it's okay. We can relax a little bit more. And um, sometimes I, I do tell them right up front, look, if there's any, just like you said, Teresa, you know, if there's anything that you say that you you regret, just let me know. We'll take it out. So don't worry. Don't get hung up on being so articulate in the moment because everything's going to be fixed. Everything's going to be edited. A lot of people really kind of relax their shoulders when they find out that you're going to be editing it. This is why I started out my podcast by selecting guests that are my friends. And also I normally have two to three guests. It's hardly ever one-on-one. -on -one. This is because I really enjoy the dynamics, but it's also to relax my guests and get the conversation going. And it's, you know, we've had really great sessions because of this. And the dynamic between the guests is something that I really enjoy because I can just kind of sit back and let the conversation evolve among my guests. So I have to do less work. I'm going to throw in a question here that I don't have on this list of questions. So we did prepare a list of questions that we were going to follow today. And I think we've kind of killed a lot of them. Um, so this just popped in my head. And this is something that has been on my mind lately. Is there an ethics guideline that podcasters should follow when we are editing our interviews or especially documentary type podcasts? Because, you know, with editing, you can manipulate your stories to f serve your needs, right? So my question is this. What is the podcaster's responsibility to remain neutral and true to the nature of the speaker's? This is going to be more of an important issue for me in the near future. So far, I have been interviewing guests who are artists and musicians and, you know, those 
areas uh, which are not really contentious, but I'm probably going to venture into a little more political space with some guests. So uh, what do you think? Well, it's not the news, right? So, <laughs> so I think we have a little bit of latitude in that regard. You want to stay true to whatever the person is saying. So I've worked for I've done work for organizations where they say, we want to edit this together. So we have a little piece of this sentence spliced onto this sentence because it's just going to tighten it up. And it's good. Basically they're saying this, that's a little more than I want to do in my podcast. I'm not going to steal words from, from various sentences to construct something, even if I think that's what they were trying to get at. Uh, as I said, I take out us and ums and tighten people up in terms of the content though. And, um, who you're speaking with and the neutrality on the subject, maybe it's helpful for your audience to know where you come from, your standpoint, and then you have a little bit more flexibility to interview the person how you want to. So nobody's neutral. Nobody's coming into it as a blank slate. So sometimes uh, just a little explanation of where you're coming from, where they're coming from in this type of podcast that you're hinting at right now about kind of a political exchange, then at least we know, right? We know each of your backgrounds and then we can make our own decisions. Hmm, but I, I'm not going to, yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to pretend that, uh, I mean, you're, you're telling a story, right? So it is your job, just like a documentarian is, is giving a viewpoint. If you don't give a viewpoint, I think it's going to be pretty bland, but again, to be fair to the audience, it I, probably it's helpful to know where you're coming from. Yeah, that's great. That's a great advice. What do you think, Teresa? That's a really good question. And it's actually something that I probably think of regularly that I don't know that I've resolved. Most of my guests, I would say, tend to be left-leaning, which is where I would categorize myself. My mother, who is my most dedicated listener, is far right-leaning. And and it does weigh on me sometimes thinking about what is being said and if it will be offensive to her. And it, that doesn't mean that I, that I try to control what's being said necessarily. I mean, when I talk to my guests, I tell them this is about amplifying your voice and your story. And I am not going to in any way manipulate it. I may choose not to have somebody on the show because I just can't within my own moral compass feel you know, proud about it or feel excited about it. So I may make that decision in that at that point. But once we're on air, I really don't try to, you know, steer the conversation in any way. But when I talk about things, for me, I do tend to be more neutral. And so I will, I will speak that sort of like what Brett is talking about, how speaking your own opinion might be helpful for context or just to understand, you know, where you are. I tend to be a little bit more neutral in in the way that certain language is used. I wouldn't say that I'm neutral about issues necessarily, but because of all the divisiveness right now in the country, I'm just particularly sensitive of not of trying not to alienate somebody because of hurtful words. One thing that I've been feeling increasingly strongly about is that we in the Hudson Valley and the Catskills have a few things that many other com uh, communities don't have. 
One is um, the protected and accessible natural land, like many state parks that we have, and the watersheds. And the other is art and creativity. As you probably know, we have more artists per capita than in uh, they do in Brooklyn. Both nature and art are known to be powerful triggers that make us feel connected to the larger universe and to each other, right? So given those gifts that we enjoy, I think we have the responsibility to push our conversations to, to a deeper level where we stop pushing our own views so much. Not I'm not saying you, Brett and Teresa, but start listening even to the people outside of our social circles or uh, to those people whose views are quite different from yours and focus on problem solving that we all face like climate crisis and inequality on a larger scale or gentrification as specific to our community. I want to just say, I mean, one of the things that was so impressive when when you first came on my show was the work that you were doing, going out and speaking to so many different community members who didn't have the same background as you. And even when I'd, I think I'd listened to one of your podcasts where you're talking about doing canvassing for, for Andrew Yang and just the challenges of having conversations with people who have different philosophies and different opinions of you. And I personally want to support that. It, that's not the mission of my show to do that necessarily, but if I can find an opportunity to help support that and cultivate that kind of behavior, I'm going to take that opportunity. Now, it might be that most of the people that listen to my show are going to pick up on the fact that most of the guests are a certain political, um, you know, of a cer certain political opinion. And so they may just write my show off. And, and so then I think, well, well, then what's the point? You know, like, am I really reaching a broader audience? I don't know the answer to all of those things, but I, it's something that I do personally feel passionate about. So I do applaud you, Keiko, for, you know, trying to have those difficult conversations and maybe bringing that into your podcast. Thank you. Thank you, Teresa. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, it's not something that I set up to do. You know, it's not something that, oh, I'm going to talk to the other side. You know, I've never really done that. I just kind of fell in that kind of a situation um, because of my uh, public art projects, which I'm not going to go into <laughs> today. Um, it, but I do this because, I mean, who who really want to do that, right? Because it's very, very uncomfortable to talk to people who are not, who not only disagree with you, but who show um, real kind of animosity towards you, especially in a case of when I was collecting signatures as a delegate for Andrew Yang in a deeply red district, I was holding a clipboard that had sticker of DNC or something. And just at the glance of that, people were like ready to spit on me, you know? So, but like you said, after a while, you know, if you do talk to them and if you listen to them, you can see that they're posture changes, their facial expression changes, every, everything softens up and they want to share your story and they want to listen to your story too. So 
when that happened, it made me feel good. You know, again, it's like this kind of um, getting applause from your audience. You know, it's that connection. It's this emotional connection that you instantly make. So, yeah, if I can keep doing that, you know, I feel like that's something that makes me feel good. And hopefully that it may be in a tiny little way, you know, maybe that would be really good for, you know, um, our country. Yeah, it's amazing. I don't know if I could do it. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, there's been certain episodes that I've worked on where politics will creep in a little bit and I just take it out because I don't want to alienate my audience. Uh, It's just not it's just not something that I focus on on my podcast. So it's, it's kind of an offshoot. So it doesn't need to be there. And you know, most of the times what the person said is something I agree with, but I don't want to alienate the other side. Um, because again, it's not what the episode's about. So if it's for me, it's more than just the politics. If it doesn't fit within the story that I'm telling, then I usually wind up striking it. Yeah. Um, so you brought up something that I wanted to ask you. So you said that you didn't want to alien alienate your audience. So are you saying that by bringing in somebody or bringing a topic or a guest who might not agree with the stance that your general audience identifies themselves with, are you saying that you're risking like alienating them? I think if the entire episode is about something political, then that's fine. But again, if it's about someone's writing career and a book that they wrote and they just happen to, you know, uh, make some kind of snarky comment about the political situation just because it kind of touches on what we're talking about, then I don't want to put it in there because why alienate someone from an episode that doesn't have anything to do with that? Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Teresa, what do you think? Are you, did you understand what? I was asking like, yeah. And I guess the thing that comes to mind is, you know, I'll just go back to my own example that my mother loves me so much that she will listen to every episode regardless of the content. And so if I have really dedicated listeners who just really believe in my mission, I think that they're going to listen, you know, especially since I am not particularly polarizing. I mean, I don't have, um, you know, vicious opinions that I'm spewing often. Um, I think they can, they can listen to it with open ears and, and, you know, just sort of choose to ignore it if they want to. But I think if it's a brand new listener, you might run the risk of just losing them immediately because they've made a decision about what category you fall in. Mm. Yeah. Beautifully put. How do you measure your success? How how much, you know, are you going to continue this indefinitely? How do you measure your success? And do you plan to grow your podcast? What's your vision? Teresa? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a funny question because my guests always ask if I know my listenership, if I know how many people are listening. And while we do get some metrics through the, you know, the podcast system that I use, 
you know, I don't have any metrics on who's listening in live radio. The The radio station, as far as I understand, does not have any way of gathering that information. So I don't have a strong answer for that. You know, I have thought, would I keep doing this if nobody was listening? There's a good reason to, because I think my guests get a, a lot out of it. Um, and... And so as long as I feel like the guests are feeling that it's a positive experience for them and it and it works okay with my life and my schedule and where my priorities are, I think I'd keep doing it even if it wasn't growing significantly. Um, you know, I, I, I am honest enough with myself where I kind of check in every now and then to understand if I'm putting too much effort into it. You know, I do get a, a small stipend from the radio station and and I don't monetize it otherwise, but it certainly is not enough to make it worth it. Like I would never take a job for that amount of pay, but there's enough reward in it for me that I, I continue to do it. And I, I wish I knew a way to really measure my success, just whether or not, you know, people are enjoying the show. Are they listening? You know, how could I be doing things better? You know, do I send out a survey? Do I try to ask folks, you know, to comment, to send me messages? I don't really get a lot of feedback um, other than what I get the, with the likes and comments on social media. So I don't have a great answer for it, but it's something that I'd love to explore more. I would like to continue growing the audience because I feel like what we're putting out there, well, personally, I think it's really interesting. And I think that the more people that hear some of the stories that we're putting out there, the better, because it kind of enriches everyone's understanding of this area in a way. And, you know, the episodes that we put out are all over the place. Some barely get listened to, and then others are doing really well. And so one of my goals is to try to make that a little bit more consistent so that we have a little bit more of a consistent audience that will at least download the episode. And if they don't like it, they can bail out halfway through and then hopefully we'll listen to the next one anyway. So I, I would love for that to happen. But, you know, even just someone telling me, hey, I listened to that episode on so-and-so and that was so amazing. I never knew about that. That's that's a measure of success right there. Just connecting with someone and someone has an understanding of something that they didn't before or learned about something new. That's, that's great. That's one of the main reasons I do it just to share stories. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah. When I first started, I started from with the same reason that you just mentioned, Teresa, that even if it's just having a good conversation with a guest, that's enough, you know, but uh, I use anchor because of your recommendation, Brett. <laughs> which gives you all kinds of analytics. I mean, it's, it's pretty limited, but you know, it's enough analytics that kind of do make you, you know, think about li listenership. And so far, my, the most popular episode that I did by far was the one with the three chefs, you know, that one really shot up. Before then, I didn't really care that much about the, um, you know, listenership. But once I had that, I was like, oh, my gosh, now I have to keep going. Um, so I do think about that more since that episode. But, um, yeah, I don't know. You know, I spend eight, ten hours per episode. But uh, once I got that um, analytics, I've actually, I, I didn't really edit 
that much before that episode, but it was after I got that much listenership that I was like, okay, I need to edit. So I'm not really sure where I'm going with this because I'm sure no one, unless you're Joe Rogan, can be rich doing podcasts. So I do have to balance, you know, what I can put out and what I would like to. So, but, you know, so far so good. So I'll just keep going until I can. Um, you know, I'm looking at Anchor right now, Keiko, since you mentioned it, because I just was curious what some of the numbers were. And, you know, some of the episodes that I thought would do the worst, that I just wanted to get out there because it was important to me, did the best. And then there's some that are so interesting and so well produced, in my opinion, <laughs> that got way fewer. And I don't know if it's just that that week fewer people because of other things that were happening in the world were tuning into podcasts or if there's something else that I need to kind of try to figure out so that the the content's getting to the people that I hope that I'm hoping it will get to so that kind of un, unpredictability is what bothers me um, at the moment but um, you know as long as people are listening and responding positively I'll keep doing it Hmm. Just out of curiosity, how did the episode on de detectorists do? I thought that was amazing. That was a great episode. That's a so that's a prime example, right? So the episode before that, which was about uh, which was a reading of Henry David Thoreau's Autumnal Tints, which was a fall based episode. Um, but in, if you're not an audiobook listener, then you might not be interested in listening to Henry David Thoreau for over an hour. That was our best episode. What? Wow. That was that was followed by Delaware County Diggers, which got about less than half the listenership of Henry David Thoreau. So maybe that Thoreau episode was appealing to a broader audience than the Catskills. The, being regional does limit how many people are going to want to tune in to local issues. So that that might be part of that. Huh. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Maybe Thoreau, the name you know, kicked off some right. tags and keywords. Yeah, yeah. maybe listed somewhere that I don't even know about. Hmm. It's an interesting thing to notice about myself. You know, like I recently did a audio, uh, um, a guided meditation that I put up on YouTube. And I noticed that it got the best response so far of all my YouTube videos. And I was like, oh, I have to keep doing this. <laughs> but but is it really because I want to do it or did I like that feedback, right? That That's the dilemma with social media and whatnot is that we get this positive feedback loop. And then is that making, is that driving our decisions and changing, you know, what we're really inclined towards? I don't think that I've gone too far off in any way, but it reminds me a bit when I I had my when the yoga studio was open, when I was just starting out, a chiropractor asked me how business was going. And I was like, it's not that great. And he was like, you got to give the people what they want. And I was like, but that's not what, if it's not what I want to give them, then why am I doing it? And and that might be a valid business model that you you provide what people want. I'm not willing to compromise that much right now. And I'd, I'd rather do things that I'm just know I'm aligned with and hopefully people will find it. And And if not, you know, things may change in time. If each listener equated to a dollar figure, maybe I would veer more toward what people are wanting, right? But it's just like you guys, it's not really, um, this is not something that I'm making money on. So um, for the time being, I really want to do what I'm passionate about and hopefully 
other people will be too. Yeah. And so you can't pretty, predict. Oh, sorry. You can't predict. No, I mean, I'm looking at these numbers and it's like, mm, okay, it's it's more interesting than annoying. <laughs> uh, sometimes I scratch my head and wonder why, but it's it's really, like you said, I, I it's not really steering where I'm going to go with the next one. Yeah. I, I don't think you can predict what people want to hear anyway, right? Like you said. But um, yeah, Teresa, I listened to your meditation <laughs> i i went to sleep listening to it it's so perfect it's like oh it's like a massage you know in my brain oh, that's good yeah. it was the first time i made music for my on my own for it that which worked. i was i was so excited about i was like a kid showing my art to my parents i was like look i made this yeah. thing what's your youtube channel it's anahata living how do you spell it a-N-A-H-A-T-A. -A -A. Great. I recommend it highly. It's a wonderful, wonderful. Thank you, wonderful <laughs> Thank you Keiko. <laughs> All right. So um, do you guys want to just post some last question? What? Let, let's make this our um, last question that we can ask each other. Well, I have a, you know, just knowing that we were going to do this session and having listened to both of your podcasts, I was speaking to someone yesterday and she has such a great story. And I was thinking, oh, this is going to be a podcast episode. I would like to interview her about her life and her story. And then I thought, but it doesn't really, well, it does fit with my podcast. But I, I thought, you know what? It's it's a really great fit for Teresa's podcast. So after this, yes. I might give you that, that, uh, that name because it's a really natural fit for yours. But, you know, I'm always just trying to find... And I guess I'm not, I don't try too hard. I, I, I tend to have a lot of ideas. And so this podcast has been a really great way for me to, um, to turn those ideas into something useful. And that's, that's one of the main reasons that, uh, I keep going with it. I don't know if that, that's not a question, but it's a, a little bit of a wrap up on my side. Yeah. And it, it makes me think that I do think that this whole experience for me has changed the way I see my world. You know, I mean, yes, to a certain extent, it's self-serving because I I see people differently as potential guests, but it helps me to see them a little bit more than I may have before. And I think that that's a big positive for me. Yeah. Keiko? Well, um, what just happened just now, what Britt just said, oh, this story would be great for Teresa. That's also another reason that I started this podcast, especially why I have two or three guests, because that has happened every single time. <laughs> My guests would say to each other, hey, let's collaborate. Oh, we should do this. And then, you know, something else happens. You know, I mean, if I'm doing that, that's so rewarding. And I feel like I am actually, you know, coming out of this session with something that we didn't have before we had this session, you know? So as long as I can keep doing that, I will I will continue doing this. And for that reason, I am so thankful to both of you for being here. This has been a really special session. You know, it was, I think this is gonna be my favorite session because <laughs> I didn't really have the pressure of like being the sole um, host. You know, I felt like I was really, being supported by both of you. So thank you. Thank you, Keiko. Please edit out all of my ums and uhs. 
Me? I'm doing that? <laughs> yes. Thank you so much, Keiko. This was really fun. And this is, it just reminds me of how, why I love doing this stuff is I, I always want to talk with my guests again, you know, like, I'm like, let's do this again next month. Come on. So it's been, it's been great. All right, let's do it again next month. <laughs> okay. All right. Have a great day. You too. Thank you. Okay, you too. Bye. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Brett's podcast is Catscast, K-A-A-T-S-C-A-S-T, and can be found on most platforms, including Apple, Spotify, and Anchor. His audio studio is Silver Hollow Audio at silverhollowaudio.com. Teresa's podcast is I Want What She Has, found at IWantWhatSheHas.org and RadioKingston.org. Her wellness center is at AnnaHataKingston.com. That's A-N-A-H-A-T-A Kingston.com. Intrinsic is a production of Forge Collective, an alliance of creators for radical honesty. Many thanks to John Notar for contributing original music. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe and consider making a tax-deductible donation at forgeartcollective.org. Thank you for listening, and tune back in in two weeks.